You're listening to Reality San Francisco's weekly podcast. For more audio content or information, please visit us at realitysf.com. Today I want to talk about following the guidance of God. Following the guidance of God. So Proverbs 1, and I'll pray and we'll read. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1, and I'll read various Proverbs uh, in our time. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. The plans of the righteous are just, but the advice of the wicked is deceitful. The way of the fool seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Plans fail for lack of counsel. But with many advisors, they succeed. To humans belong the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the proper answer of the tongue. All a person's way seems pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. The Lord works out everything to its proper end, even the wicked for the day of disaster. In their hearts, humans plan their course. But the Lord establishes their steps. There is, a way that, there is a way that appears right, but the end leads to death. Listen to advice and accept discipline. And at the end, you will be counted among the wise. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but, the Lord is, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. A person's steps are directed by the Lord. How then can anyone understand their own way? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Those are our texts this morning from Proverbs. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word and how uh, it brings clarity to our minds and clarity to our hearts and it shapes us into a kind of, the kind of people that you want and you desire for us. I ask this morning, God, as we submit our ways to you as we get to be quiet for the next several minutes and maybe even your spirit might bring to memory just the ways that we've been living and the things that we've been doing, the path that we've been on. And maybe for the first time ever, we get to submit those ways to you. And maybe for the first time in a long time, we get to submit those ways to you. I ask you, God, as we submit our ways to you and as we submit our time to you, that you would make our path straight, that you would make our path smooth, that you would straighten out the way that we've been living, Lord that you would give us a clear path before us, that you would build us and, ma- and change us uh, as we're here, just exposed by your spirit and your word, that you would change us into the people that are, are making actually really good decisions, God. I pray that for this church. I pray that for this church today that's not even here. I know um, a lot of our church is out um, in the city today. I pray that, God, the things that we've been learning together, that we would become the kind of people that even on days like today, we make really good decisions. And so I pray that for our city, I pray that for our people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Ironically, uh, this sermon on guidance was the hardest one I've ever had to study for so far in our Proverbs series. And not just because the intersection, and we're going to talk a little bit about it today, but not that much, but the intersection between God's sovereignty and our human freedom is like the biblical equivalent of finding a unicorn or like a winged unicorn. It's like so difficult to understand. It's so hard to find. But what was more difficult about this 
topic was I couldn't decide how to teach it. I needed guidance on how to teach on guidance. And I'm sitting at my computer throughout this week as I'm studying for this sermon and this topic and about to type out my sermon and I just couldn't decide on which path to take you through the sermon. And it seems fair though, and the reason why it seems fair is because um, I've been in, in ministry for almost two decades now. I'm very, very old. Um, and, I, and I still get this question the most. Um, when I was a youth worker and a youth pastor and a, and, a, and a junior high director, when I was doing college ministry or young adult ministry or adult ministry or, or leading and pastoring a church, the question that I still get the most is, what do I do? What is God's will for my life? How do I make a good decision? I've seen people even give up this question altogether and sitting in my office and saying, I don't want to do and decide anymore. Just tell me what I need to do. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. At this point, I'm just so exhausted of making my own decisions because I feel like I keep choosing the wrong ones. Just tell me what to do. I have these two things. What do I do? You tell me. I'm going to give it to you to do. Do you ever do this? Do you ever, um, someone that you're close to, and you ever go up to them and go, will you just decide for me? I don't want to decide. I'm tired of choosing. Like, I, I've, I've chosen my life so far, and it hasn't turned out the way I thought. So could you decide for me? Or when you're with a really good friend or a, a spouse or something, and you can't decide on what to do for the evening. You're like, you decide for me. No, you decide. No, you decide. Where are we going to go to eat? I can't decide. You're like, I've, de- I've decided, and I tell my wife this all the time, I've decided a million things today. Can you decide if we're going to have chicken or vegetables? And she's like, oh, that's easy. <laughs> but what about when you're faced with a big decision? A big, difficult decision, a, like a life-altering decision. Are you one of those people who gets plagued with anxiety when you're faced with a big decision? Like plagued, plagued with so much anxiety about choosing what's best because you think one wrong move and your life can be headed down a path that you never wanted forever. And so you, you see this plan, and you're like, okay, do I, do I stay here? Do I leave? Do I... Do I start dating this person? Do I not? Do I take this job? Do I not? Do I move? Do I stay? Like, and you're like, what I decide will set the course of my life forever. And you're just, you're, you're, you're plagued with anxiety and you get frozen in fear. We've been talking about wisdom over the last several weeks. And we said that the Hebraic word for wisdom is chokmah. And what chokmah means is the skill of living. It's possessing the skill of living well. That you can go through life and you can live life well. You need chokmah to live life well. You need wisdom for living life well. And basically what chokmah is, is practical knowledge. It helps to know this practical knowledge that we gain in, uh, in, in the Bible through wisdom is wisdom on how to act, how to react, how to speak in different situations, and probably most importantly to a lot of people in this room, how to decide, how to make the right decisions. Wisdom is, in Proverbs, wisdom says that it can guide you, as we're reading in our selected text this morning. Wisdom can guide you. It can help you decide. Wisdom, if you get it, wisdom can help you make the right decisions. Wisdom, we're told, will make your paths straight. Another way of translating that literally is make your paths smooth. So you get wisdom, you submit your ways to God, you get the wisdom of God, and God will make your paths smooth. See, everyday decision-making is an important part of the human experience. And Proverbs says that we can, if we get wisdom, if we become wise people, we will be the kind of people who make decisions more confidently. We'll be the kind of people that make them 
not just more confidently, but unpretentiously. We won't just be confident in our decision-making. We won't be as pretentious in our decision-making either. We'll be the kind of people who can make a decision, but not make a decision and say, thus saith the Lord. That's a very important distinction. To make a decision confidently and then be open-handed with the decision that we made. Like, I'm going to make the decision with everything that I know and all the confidence that I have, but I'm going to make it in humility. So wisdom in decision-making will actually make you a bolder decision-maker, but not just that, at the same time, a more humble decision-maker. And this is the kind of wisdom we need. This is the kind of wisdom that will guide us. So how does Proverbs say that we get this sort of decision-making wisdom, decision-making power, this sort of guidance from God? How do we get it? Well, let me talk really quick about how we typically make decisions. I mean, I could, these are very, very nuanced. I can, I can give you a list of 50, but let me give you three of the top that I see most often. These are the three top ways that people make decisions. We are either go with your gut. You're that kind of person that goes with your gut, meaning you're all feelings. So whenever you make a decision, you're like, what feels right to me? That feels right. I, I'm going to go with my gut. I'm going to go with my feelings. And you're, and you're navigated through life by your gut, by your feelings, by the way you think life should be, by your, by your emotions. Now, the good side of this is that these people are very genuine. These are very genuine people. They will go up to you and go, I, I just really feel like I need to do this. And they, they have convictions. This is why they go with their gut. Like, I'm convinced that this is the way this company should be built. Or this is the way this, this room or this house should be ran. This is the way the city should, should do things. And you're ran by your deep-seated convictions. That's a good part. The other good part is that these people... Um, in, in, a, in a spiritual setting, genuinely want to please God. I really believe that. For the most part, they genuinely want to please God. They're going, I'm going to go with my God. I think this is the best thing for, for me, for God, all that stuff. The bad thing about these type of people is they're flighty. They're very, very flighty. Now, if you're not one of these people but know one of these people, you're kind of like, like snickering right now. You're like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are. Now, if you're this kind of person, you're offended right now. You're like, what? I am not flighty. But this kind of person is a, a, a flighty person, meaning they go with their gut, and these person, remember, these people are like convinced. So they'll go like, I think God told me to do this. I, I feel like I should do this. And then two weeks later, like, oh, no, that wasn't it. Like, wait, you said God told you to do it. Yeah, I know. Was God wrong? Were you wrong? What was going on? I don't know. I just I don't, I don't feel it anymore. Like, well, how do I? I'm, I, I don't understand. Like, well, you told me it was forever. Oh, I don't know. Whatever, whatever. Maybe you've dated someone like this. You said it was forever. Anyway, um, so you got these type of people that go with their gut. If you follow these kind of people in leadership, if you've dated these kind of people, if you're around these kind of people, it's so hard when it's bad. It's really hard. They're an emotional wreck when it's bad. The other kind of people that make decisions are the people that are waiting for a sign, okay? These are, these are people that tend to be a little bit more charismatic, these are people that tend to be a little bit more in tune spiritually, and they're always looking for a sign from God. They would, they would say, and we might even say of them, they're holy people. Now, the good thing about them is they want God to guide them. That's so good. Like when, they, when they're waiting for a sign, what they genuinely want in this experience of making a decision is they want God to guide them. God, would you please guide me? Which way should I go? Show me a sign. And they usually do the, the, the holy flip, right? They just kind of open up and go, bam. And I'm like, there it is, right there. 
Um, and they, they look, they mine for verses. They read the Bible like, God, just tell me. Just, I'm going to read the scripture. Just tell me what to do today. They do, they, they, these people are, they, they are all waiting for a sign. They, they see, like a, they meet someone whose name is something, and it connects to something. Like, that was a sign. Like, I, I've, it's got to be a sign. God, you're telling me something, that sort of thing. Now, the bad thing about these people is that they can be, not that they are, so don't be offended if you're this kind of person, they can be very immature. They can be very immature. Because they don't, and we're going to talk about this today, they don't actually develop the character and the capacity to make good decisions. They're just, they're kind of, they kind of go and go, God, what do you want me to do? And I'm going to do that. And then, God, what do you want me to do? And that's a sign. Oh, it's a red door, red, uh, the blood of Jesus. Do it that way, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> and so, but they don't, they, they don't actually grow the capacity. And I don't want to make fun, if you're this person, gosh, I love these people because they genuinely want to do God's will. But the tendency is to circumvent character. To circumvent God, I want to know God and know his word and know that I have the capacity of character to make sound, wise decisions. The other type of person is the act before you, you think type of person that does something and they do it really fast without ever, ever thinking. This, these type of people just let life happen to them. Like, what's your plan for life? Like, I don't really have a plan for life. Tomorrow has enough worry of itself. I'm just going to worry about today. And I, what are you worrying about today? Nothing. Just like, just doing life, man. Just doing it. I don't know what's ever going to happen. It's going to happen. And you know, you're not planning. You're not thinking. Now, the good thing about this type of person is they trust. Like, they can go through life and go, I trust that the world is genuinely good and that God is good and he'll lead me. That's good. But the bad part of this person is they can mislive. There could actually be a very concrete way that God wants you to live that you're missing. Something very, very, very concrete that you're missing because you're just not thinking about it. God has given you a mind. God's given you a heart. God's given you a capacity. God's given you, given you uh, gifts. God's given you talents. And God's given you his word on how to live your life. And you're just like, well, I don't want to think about it. I'm just going to live my life and whatever happens today happens today. Those are three, I know those are very broad strokes, but that's typically how we make a decision. Now, to be honest with you, Wisdom is a gentle thread between all these three ways of making the decision. Wisdom is a gentle thread between all these three different ways of making a decision. But we have to learn some things first. So what are the things that we have to learn? Well, in our text today, in Proverbs, we looked at several ones about guidance, about God leading us or, or God get, having a plan for us. And this is what we learned from our text today. First, we learned that there is a limit to our human understanding. We have to learn this, that there is a limit to our human understanding, meaning that your plans only go so far. You might be the kind of person in here, and I, and I would imagine a place like San Francisco, overwhelmingly this kind of person lives here, is that you plan out every single detail of your life. Every single one. It's just a little plot map, and you have it plotted down until you retire and wherever you want to retire. You have your career and your spouse and your house and your vacations and your accomplishments all lined out. This would be someone like me. This would be my sort of thing. My wife, it bugs her to death. I'm like, well, we're going to do this and then we're going to do that. And she's like, how do you know? I'm like, because I know. Or how do you know? This is what I, and so you, you have this tendency to plan your whole entire life out. And, you, and, and if you've lived longer than 17 years old, you might have, a, have seen that life can disappoint you. You might have gone through life and like, well, I thought I would, at this time, I thought I would have this, 
end that, be married, have, own a house already. I thought I'd have that, all that by now. You know, I thought by 27 I'd have all of that down. And you have, you have it all planned out your whole life. Or maybe, if you haven't lived, uh, if, you, if you have planned it out, you might not have everything planned out, but you have this general sense, this general sense of where, where you want to go in life. Like, I, I don't have it all planned out detailed, but I have this general sense of what it makes, what, what will make me happy in life. But maybe it hasn't happened yet. And so this is what Proverbs would say to that. Proverbs says in chapter 16, chapter 16 is actually a really good chapter to meditate on for God's guidance. And it says this. To humans belong the plans of the heart. To humans, to us, belong the plans that we make in our heart. He said, but it says this, but, and so what Proverbs does in Proverbs proper from uh, chapters uh, 10 on, Proverbs proper actually uh, does, these, does these couplets or par- they have parallelisms where, they, where you could connect these two sayings together. So it says, um, the humans belong the plans of the heart, but, and then it couples that with, what, is, what does the Lord have to say about this? This is what humans do, but what does God have to say? It's just what it says. To humans belong the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the proper answer of the tongue. Now, what does that mean? What this is saying in a very proverbial way is that we can plan and plan and plan how our life will go, but God, listen, but God is somehow involved with how everything turns out in the end. We can plan and plan and plan, but some, somehow, it doesn't really say how here in Proverbs, but it's, it's supposed to, this, this, to gain wisdom, you have to understand this principle. God directs everything in the end. The way the writer puts it is that to humans belong the plans of the heart, meaning we have the gift, we have the responsibility of reason. We have a reason. I think everyone understands that we all have the capacity for reason. We can weigh pros and cons. We can choose good or evil, and that's on us, and the consequences are on us. We can make arrangements. We can arrange our lives. That word, the, uh, the, the man plans, that word plans is literally arrange. We could arrange our lives, but those plans, those arrangements, however good they're logically ordered, and what Proverbs says is that in, their, in our heart, they're like thoughts. We have these plans. We're like, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do this, and they're, they're in our hearts. To, to, those plans that we have in our hearts don't actually mean anything until they're spoken. So uh, the, the language here is military, okay? So if some king is going to war, he has these plans. But until he speaks his plans out, he can't assemble his army. So you might have these plans in your heart, but until they, they, they become a reality out of your mouth, they, they don't mean anything. But what the, the writer of Proverbs says, you plan your heart, but the, but the Lord... From the Lord comes the, the pro, uh, comes the proper answer of the tongue. Meaning, what the writer is saying is that when the reply of the tongue, the realization of your plans does not come out without God. God is in the process of realizing all your plans. He takes your plans and he helps you to realize them. The actualization of every man's plan in the end will have a proper answer in God. God has a way. God, in his mysterious way, guides all plans. It takes further, he takes us further in verse 2. All a person's ways seem pure to them. So whenever we plan things, they seem so right to us. They seem so pure to us. When we have plans, we always go, man, this, this is the best plan. This plan is foolproof. It's amazing. Everyone's going to be stoked on this plan. But the motives are weighed by the Lord. What this is saying is that there's a difference between the way you see your life and the way God sees your life. You see the two perspectives? 
There's a way that you see your motives or the way that you see your plans. You're like, oh, my plans are so awesome. And then God has a bigger, a bigger scope. He not only sees beginning to end, he sees the very motives. He sees what's really underneath there, what's really making you choose this. You think you see the big picture. You think you see you, you acting in ways that are unselfish and the most just ways and the most righteous ways, but God can see it all. God weighs the heart. He knows the motives. God sees the big picture. But now the imperative comes in in verse 3. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. We'll get back to this one in a second. Look at verse 4. The Lord works out everything to its proper end, even the wicked for the day of disaster. What this is saying is that God has a way that your life and my life will end up. He actually has a way that the whole world will end up, even has a plan for the wicked in the end. He has a plan to enact justice on the whole world. Now, what the writer is saying is that if God has a plan for the wicked, how much more does he have a plan for the righteous? If God has a plan even for the wicked, even to enact justice at the end of all things, how much more does he have a plan for the righteous? And this is put the most explicitly here in verse 9. In their hearts, humans plan their course. In our hearts, we plan our course, but the Lord establishes their steps. This word plan here, in their hearts, humans plan their course. This word plan is a poetic word balancing human reason and strategy. In our hearts, we reason and we strategize, meaning we make, we, this makes sense for me and this is how I'll get to where I want to go in life. This is how I'll do it. But it says the Lord establishes. What this means is that God has a way of leading us. God has a way of leading all of us. God is too much of a loving father to let us have what we think we want when we want it. Think about this. When we plan our course in life, when we sit down and when we're, I don't know, when we're daydreaming about our life, we're thinking about what our next year is going to look like, what our next five years is going to look like, when we embark on a new relationship or a new job opportunity or we, we join a new community group or something like that and we just plan out and we just kind of have, we have this sort of hope as humans. We kind of plan out how, how is this, this going to end up? How is this going to go? When we do that, human hearts, when they plan their course, they plan their course without pain. They plan their course without trials, without failure, without detours, without heartbreak, without suffering. Isn't that true? When was the last time you made a plan and planned in suffering? When was the last time you were like, I'm going to get that job? Oh, gosh, it's going to be awesome. But for two years, I'm going to hate it. And, I'm gonna, and that's my plan. I'm going to hate it. And I'm going I'm to be, uh, it's going to suck, and I'm going to be restless, and I'm going to be lonely, and I'm going to be tempted, I'm going to struggle, and I'm going to be homesick. That's my plan. Who plans that way? No one. If you do, you're sick. You need counseling, probably. <laughs> But that's not, that's not really our plans. Like when we plan our life, we're like, okay, we're going to go this way. There's gonna be, it's, all the money's going to be there. All the, the person's going to be there. The timing's going to be there. The right venue's going to be there. The right people are going to be there. It's going to be amazing. This is how it's going to go. And this is what's going to happen. None of us plan in pain. None of us plan in death. None of us go, well, at this point, someone's going to die. At this point, someone's going to diagnose with that. At some point, this is going to happen. No one does that. But God establishes your steps. So what this is saying is that God has a plan for your life, but God makes sure there are depths and levels of character building in that plan. So as you're going through your life, God has a way of leading you through life. 
not controlling you, but leading you as you're submitted to him, leading you. And as he leads you, he brings you through places of pain to develop character, depth, loss, trials. He allows those things in our life. Or another way of looking at it, if you're not comfortable with him allowing those things, the way Proverbs is set up is God established the world the way it is, and because of the fallen nature, these things are built into life. There is no one on this earth that goes through life without some sort of pain. That is life. God created life. He built the system that we call life. And because of brokenness and fallenness, that is now a part of life as we know it. And God will use every single ounce of it. God will bring into your life or as you go through these things in life, he'll teach you. He'll build character and capacity in your heart. He will, he, you will go through heartbreak in life. You will experience brokenheartedness. And God will teach you depth of character through it. You will experience loss and pain, and God will teach you depth of character in it. Romans 5 says this, and I'm going to read a New Living Translation because I think it's pretty potent in this translation. It says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, when we just run into them. Like we're going along and these things happen. For we know, we are convinced that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Keep that up for a second. What this assumes is that you will go through life, every single one of us will go through a part of life where in this part of life we will go through trials and problems. But then God takes those trials and problems and, they, and he uses those to develop endurance in us, to keep running, to keep going. The more problems you've had in your walk with Christ, the more character you have, the more endurance you have. And then this endurance, it develops strength of character. This is what we've been talking about in Proverbs. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. What it does in us, it builds us in our hearts this capacity of going, I trust that in the end God will make all things right. And I am longing, I am longing for the day that Jesus comes back to make all things right. My eyes are not focused on this life only, but the next. And you've built in your life this character, this capacity. And this is what God desires. If we have learned anything from Proverbs so far, it's that God desires that we get wisdom. And the wisdom does not come without growing in character. And suffering is a part of that. That's, that's real life. Suffering is a part of that. So the first thing we need to learn is that there's a limit to our human understanding. We don't know all that God is doing. We don't know all that God will do in taking the evil done in this world and using evil for good, turning, flipping the script on it and going, you meant this for evil, God meant it for good. God knows how to take those things and then Use pain and heartache and heartbreak and trials and suffering in your life to then flip that script and turn that into a capacity of you being a more fully formed human. This is so important that you realize that you might have these plans, but God establishes your steps. God, you have all these great, awesome plans that you think are awesome, but God, takes you, God allows you or takes you through trials. And then as he does, he makes you more, a more established person firmly fixed, immovable. 
unshakable. Depth of character. The second thing that we need to learn is that wisdom is becoming the kind of person who makes wise decisions. Now, this point is a very important point. If you've been um, at, our, at our church for any length of time, recently we went through the book of uh, 1 Corinthians. And, oh, I almost forgot how to drink, sorry. Um, I think I spilled on myself, sorry. In the book of 1 Corinthians, we did a whole teaching in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians on the spiritual manifestations of God, like spiritual gifts and how God gives gifts. Now, what I want to do, it's, uh, to do for, for you guys that are, are here or, or whatever, um, I want to balance that with this next point. Because if you're here, we talked about how God speaks to us, how God leads us, how God can manifest his spirit in the church and gives us words of knowledge and encouragement and prophecy, and all of that is true. All of that is true. But what I would like to do to fully round us out as followers of Jesus, fully round us out as human beings, is to balance that with this next point. That what God desires for us is that we would actually become the kind of people who make wise decisions. And you'll, you'll understand why I said that, that little caveat there in a second. Look at verse 3. The integrity of the upright guides them. Listen to that. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. And what this is saying is that when you grow in wisdom and you grow in character, your character, your integrity will guide you. Meaning, when God builds in you and you grow in your character, you grow, you add to your faith knowledge and knowledge love and, you, and you've learned endurance and you've learned character and you've learned the hope of salvation, as you become that kind of person, your, that integrity, that character inside of you will actually help you make decisions. So God will grow your character and because you're growing in character and because you have character, you will be the kind of people who make good decisions. God will guide you but he will guide you through your integrity. That is so important. What I think happens is that we do not want to grow in character. We just want God to tell us what to do. That's so much easier. It would be so much easier to go, God, I don't want character. It's so hard to get character. I don't want to be honest all the time. I just, if you just tell me what to do, even if it's dishonest, I'll do it. Even if it's a little shady. Even if it doesn't make sense, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. And that's what we want. But God's like, no, I'm, I'm going to build in you integrity. I'm going to build in you character. And that character that I build in you will actually guide you. You will make good decisions because you're going to be the kind of person that knows how to make a good decision. Look at verse 5. The plans of the righteous are just. If, you, if you're the kind of person we talked about last week who's a righteous person, who has wisdom and character and serves the community, as we talked about last week, you will be the kind of person whose plans are just. It's something that's done in you, and it'll come out of you. If you're a righteous person, the plans that you have will be plans to bring about justice. Your plans that you have for your company, your plans that you have for your startup, the plans that you have for your family, the plans that you have for your life, or your neck, will actually be plans that are just. They'll be plans that are Righteous. Because you're a righteous person. Do you understand? Now, I know, gosh, it is so sexy to talk about God just leading us supernaturally. That's, gosh, that will sell a lot of books. A lot. It's like, just, when, just pray and then, like, 
like just do some stuff, like say some tongues, and then God will just like tell you what to do and look for like a, 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 a sign and then just go. That, I mean, every single one of us wants that. But isn't that kind of like shaman? Isn't that kind of pagan? Doesn't God want to develop in his character? Now, again, like I said, see that, how that caveat comes in? God does lead his church. God speaks to his people. But what he wants to develop in us is this. Are there times when God has to supernaturally come in and go, I want you to go this way? Absolutely. Absolutely he does that. But he wants us to be the kind of people in everyday situations that make right decisions. And, there, and he shows us how. Look at verse 3. Commit to the Lord whatever you do and he will establish your plans. Now, this assumes that you have this daily committing of everything you do to the Lord. This daily interaction there are two ways of making um, decisions that I think are misguided. The first way is found by reading this verse. This is, uh, I, I, you can call this verse the blessed verse. Like, you make your plans, you ask God to bless it. Like, God, I'm going to do this, would you bless it? God's like, bless it? Would you baptize it? I'm just going to do these things, God, and I want to go this way, and would you just bless my plans? We can kind of think that that's what that's saying, but that's not what it's saying. Look at verse 5 and 6. This is another way that I think we make decisions that are misguided. Finding God's will. Okay? We say that a lot. I hope, we hope, well, I hope to change our language here. Finding God's will. It says this in verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him or acknowledge him and he will make your paths, paths straight. Now, in the, in the Old King James translation, this verse has made its way into our common Christian subconscious, and it goes like this. This is the way the old King James renders this verse. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct thy paths. If you acknowledge God, then he will direct thy paths. From this verse comes a thinking that God will show you his perfect will in every situation, and you don't want to miss God's perfect will. And so God has this perfect will that we're trying to find. Like we want to know what God's will is, the line of reasoning goes. So what people try to do is they try to, quote, divine God's will. It's, a, it's like a form of divination. A, a, we think a sanctified form of divination. We'll lay out a fleece. We'll cast spiritual lots. We ask for godly intercessors to give us a word or like an Old Testament seer would. We go to them like, I have this decision, and you're like the, you're like the seer. You're like the, the, the person who like knows everything. You talk to God. Would you just tell, tell me what God says? And this would be, gosh... This is not what these verses are saying. If we're really honest about what we want when we make a decision, is we want God's divine guidance on specific choices. Let's be honest. That's what we want. I want, I want God, I want you to tell me what to do, and I'll do it. And this sounds so holy. It sounds holy because, I mean, even if you went up to me and like walked up to me and said, hey, I just want what God wants. I want to do what God wants me to do. God just needs to tell me. And I would be tempted to go, you're the most holy person I've ever, ever met. Now, if we peel that back a little bit, let's do some work and peel that back. What are we really saying? What we're really saying is that we don't necessarily, not all the time, but generally, we don't necessarily want to put in the hard work of knowing God, knowing God's character, growing in our own character so that we could know God's written will and know and have a character developed enough to make a good decision it would be much easier to flip a coin it would be much easier 
to know God's will if we asked a diviner. Just tell me what to do. But there is, now listen, there is no character or maturity required for that. There is no character or maturity. If we just went up, God, tell me what to do, and God said, I want you to know me. We're like, well, no, 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 that takes too much time. Just tell me what to do. God's like, I want you to be mature. Like, well, no, no, that's too hard. It would be way easier if you just told me what to do. I, guys, I know that we have so much spiritual language tied up in this. It's probably messing some people up mentally right now. Uh, big time. You're like, but I thought that I was supposed to know what God wanted to do in every situation. The way that we know what God wants us to do in every situation is by knowing God. Knowing God and allowing God to develop character within us. See, in the New Testament, we're never actually told to seek God's will. Rather, we are told to seek God's kingdom and do God's will. See the difference? Do God's will. You know what that means? That means it's actually laid out very clearly what the will of God is for you. The will of God for you is to be holy. So maybe when you're facing your next decision, it should be, God, will this move me towards holiness? See, that's all too hard of a question right there. You're like, well, I'm out. Just tell me what to do. That's just too hard if I ask that question. The next one is to be sexually pure. That is the will of God for you. You're like, whoa. That, no, that question is never going to be asked. To be thankful in all situations. See, th- these, are the things that, these, are, these are the things that says, now, you want to do God's will? That's God's will for you. Those are, to us, those are too hard. Like, no, but I need every day sort of like just tell me what to do, where to go. God wants to develop in us a heart that knows him. It takes time to get to know God and know his will. His will is wrapped up in his person. Look at look what it says here again in, in, in chapter 3. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. In all your ways, acknowledge. This is not saying God baptized my plans. To know in this book means personal knowledge. It means intimate experience with the person's reality. You can know God's will only when you know God. That's what this is saying. Wisdom is a character trait. So when you ask for wisdom, we're not asking for a a special answer on who to marry. It assumes that we'll become the right kind of people that make the right kind of decisions. So in in chapter 16, verse 3, should be still up there. Can you put 16.3 up? Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. What this means, what this is saying is that as we live our lives committed to God, As we live our lives committed to God in everything we do, in thought or in deed, our pattern for living will become the kind of people who make good decisions. When we commit every single way to God, when we spend our lives getting to know the character of God, knowing God's heart for us, when we do that and we become the kind of people that get to know the heart of God and then grow in character, God will build in us and make us the kind of people who make good decisions. Bruce Walkie, who is uh, a commentator I've quoted quite often in the book of Proverbs, he has a little book on the will of God. In it, he says this. He says, the reliance on special signs from God is the mark of an immature person. It's really funny. We'll just break from the quote for a second. Um, When the Jews asked for a sign, Jesus told them only a perverse generation asks for a sign. So just chew on that for a bit. Um, 
The reliance on God's special signs from God is a mark of an immature person, someone who cannot simply believe the truth as presented, meaning here, must have a special, miraculous sign as a symbol of authority from God. My, my following God is based upon my relationship with him rather than a special sign. Rather than looking for some sort of wrapped spiritual package from the Almighty, I want to rely upon my closeness to him. So when I wonder about which job to take, I don't go through a divination process to discover a hidden message, a hidden message from God. Instead, I examine how God has called me to live my life, what my motives are, what he has given me a heart for, where I am in my walk with Christ, and what God is saying to me through his word and his people. You don't have to take a picture of that, whatever, it's going to be on our website, okay? <laughs> Look at, he goes on to say this. The common idea of divining God's will is either a pagan notion that we Christians need to let go of or a mode of administration that God no longer uses. There was a form of divination for the people of God in the Old Testament, but there's nothing like that in the New Testament. God has given us a program of guidance that involves getting to know him through his word and letting him shape our character, our hearts, and our desires. And then we will know the mind of God that we can live out of his will. He expects us to draw close to him, then allows for seeking wise counsel as confirmation or taking our circumstances into consideration and using our own sound judgment to make a decision. He never calls us in the New Testament to seek his will, but rather his kingdom and do his will. We ought to stamp out of our vocabulary the non-biblical misleading expression, finding the will of God. Rather than talk about seeking the will of God, we ought to speak of following the guidance of God. This is not just uh, semantically different, since he is calling us to draw close to himself and to live holy lives. God's will for us is that we be holy. There is no mystery to his will. As for those questions about changing jobs, getting married, going to school, and the like, finding answers will require growing close to God. I love that. This does not undo the 1 Corinthians 14 teaching. This builds into that teaching a more fully rounded human. Does God sometimes break in and miraculously speak to us? Absolutely. Even Walkie will go on to explain in the end of his book that God does at many times in Scripture break in and do that. But that does not circumvent our need for character and to draw close to him. We cannot just through incantation, through throwing up something and, and, and circumventing the, the process of character and knowing God, just something like, I just want God to guide me, I want God to lead me. God's like, I will guide you as you know me. And I will lead you as you grow in character and grow in capacity to make the right decision. So what does this all look like? What does this all look like? It looks like this. Know God through the scriptures and know God through community. Guys, I've said this before in our teaching through Proverbs and I can't, I can't overstate this. You have to be intimately acquainted with God through prayer and his word. You just do. There's no other way around it. There's no even other books that, that like can, like they can probably help you, but you need to spend time with this. And not just time with this, but you need to spend time in community with this so you get a full rounded understanding of, God, what are you saying? What are you saying to our community through this? You need to know God's will for you. You just have to. There's no going around. There's no getting around that. You have to know yourself as well. You have to know your gifts, your desires, your talents, your abilities, your limits. God speaks to you through your limits. There's things that you cannot do. 
And you should never do. God has never, ever given you the gifts to do. And that's okay. Your limits actually help you focus in on what God has for you. The other thing to do is get godly counsel from godly people. Now, it's imperative that you look for a mature Christian when you ask for counsel, whom you trust and whom you admire, and that you're willing to listen to the counsel that they give you even if you don't appreciate their counsel. I've seen many Christians go to counsel for two reasons. This is why they go to counsel. Either they aren't close to the heart of God themselves, so they're looking for a backdoor to his will. They're like, I'm just not close to God, could you just tell me what God wants? Or they're looking, not, they're not really looking for counsel as much as they're looking for approval from another person. I want to do this in my life. Can you just approve what I want? Could you just baptize my plans? I don't think either of these reasons honors God. The first one suggests that maturity isn't important, and it is. And the second one, the second reason reveals a person too weak to have their own convictions. We need character. We need to allow God to form in us a character. And lastly, we need to trust in the providence of God. We need to trust that as we move forward in our planning, we plan with very, very open hands. Look at these last two verses. Verse 25, it's chapter 16. There is a way that appears right, but in the end it leads to death. Oh my gosh, that is the scariest verse in Proverbs. When we're reading this, uh, a couple of us just reading through the text together um, as we study and plan to preach, we're saying every single proverb we read seems to undo the other one. It says to do that, but then if you do that, you might die. Like, or you can do that, trust God, but commit your ways, but who knows if it's right. Like, and look at this next one. Look at chapter 20, verse 24. A person's steps are directed by the Lord. How then can anyone understand their own way? Like, like what am I supposed to do? I don't know. I don't understand, but it could be death. Okay, thanks. That helps a lot. What this does, it, sh- it, allow- it shaves off the pretension. It shaves off this, this, this way of thinking that I know what's best for me. This is very humbling. When we read this, I know there's a lot of very, very smart, educated, well-to-do people in this room, and this should humble you. There is a way that you think is right, but it could lead to death. There's also... God plans your steps. How do you even know your own way? This should make, this should, we should make plans and hold them loosely and ask God to build in us the capacity of character and the heart to know his will and hear his voice. I'm not saying that we cannot hear God's voice. We can hear God's voice. But we cannot circumvent maturity. So I want to end here. I want to look at verse 3 in chapter 16. This is where we'll end. It says, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. This is how, this is how I want to bring us into a time of uh, communion, a time of responding to God as a church. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. That Hebrew word commit literally means to roll. It means that we, we take our plans, and we take whatever we do, and we roll them on to God. Sometimes our plans and, and, the, and the decisions before us are so heavy that we don't even have the strength to carry them to God. We could simply just like roll them and go, that's all I got. Like they're so, uh, the plans I have, God, and the decisions I have to make are so heavy, all I have the strength to do is actually to roll them onto you. It means to turn your way over to God. The same idea is expressed in 1 Peter chapter 5. 
when the apostle says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, for he cares for you. If you leave with nothing else, please hear this. In the context of 1 Peter, there's tremendous suffering going on in the church. Tremendous. So much so that it gave abundant opportunity for this sin called worry or anxiety. The writer acknowledges that through their suffering, a humbling process is taking place in them. Through their suffering, a humbling process is taking place. And the Greek word, the Greek idea idea of all your cares means that they should roll every worry to God. That, that, That word, cast all your anxiety, is literally another another word for roll or to place, just like in Proverbs. And all your cares means not just every worry that comes along but the whole of their anxiety. Roll all your anxiety. Any anxiety that would resolve, that you would resolve in your heart to commit to God, the, the, all of your, even your future anxiety. Roll all your anxiety over to God. See, anxiety happens when humility does not. Anxiety happens in our lives, and this, this is coming from someone who is a very anxious person. Anxiety happens when you're trying to control the outcome. Anxiety happens when there's something deep down that you want and you want to get it there. And when it's not going your way, you start getting anxious or you're getting worried because what if it doesn't turn out the way I want it to turn out? Anxiety and humility actually can't coexist. As soon as you humble yourselves, as soon as you get to a place where you, you, you cast your anxiety and you're like, I actually cannot control the outcome can't. It's out of my control. I'm humble before your, your hand, God. But the beautiful thing is that for this person, it says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. We can actually cast our anxiety on God because there's concern for us. God cares for us. Our plans are ultimately under his control and he cares for us. Before our um, time this morning, we were praying, and someone read a verse of Scripture. During our, our time of prayer in the morning, um, before service, we kind of open up the time like, hey, if anyone senses like a proverb or a, of a psalm or, or some way where we kind of edify each other, let's just read it out. And someone read this, and I thought it was so fitting for maybe some people in here. Because after I've read this whole thing, you might be crushed under it. Because you're like, okay, wait, so you're saying that all these things that have happened in my life, like God wants to develop something in me, but it hurts so bad, this isn't making any sense at all. And I'm crushed under it. And even if I am supposed to learn something, I, I'm, so much, I'm, I'm so much in my own pain, I can't even learn from it right now. I can't even become the kind of person that you want me to, or God wants me to become because I'm just too hurt right now. And so, in Lamentations, Jeremiah, after seeing his country destroyed, writes a whole book of lament, a whole book of sad songs, where he cries, and he cries out to God. And in there, there's this lament where he says this. He says, and this might be where you're at, this might be how you feel today. Peace has been stripped away, 
and I have forgotten what prosperity is. I cry out, my splendor is gone. Everything I had hoped for from the Lord is lost. The thought of my suffering and my homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yet, I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. So it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. Jeremiah is the kind of person who's gone through suffering and through suffering knows God's character. Knows God's character enough to trust him even though his life doesn't make sense right now. Even though he doesn't know what's going on, all his hopes are dashed, he's destroyed, his city has been destroyed, his family is gone, everything is gone. Everything he's loved for and put his hope in is gone. All his plans are ruined. But he knows enough about the character of God to hope in God still. He knows enough about the, the, the knowledge of God. He, he's so intimately acquainted with the ways of God. He knows that I can still wait on the Lord. That I can wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. This is, this is the kind of person, the kind of character that God wants to develop in us. And it's a long road. I will say that this road is not an easy road at all. If someone told you that Christianity is easy and you should come in and be a part of their church, they lied to you. And I'm here to say sorry. I apologize for that. It is not the truth. Character that God develops in us is done through a very long and difficult process. But it is the process of making us fully formed people, established people, people that know God and know his reality and the way that he's putting the world back together, the kind of people who are righteous and do righteous, the people that are just and do justice. These are the kinds of people that God is desiring to form in us. If we would just let him, let's pray. God, I thank you the patience of this church as we go through this series and I know that you're deforming in us such deep deep abiding character God every week I'm struck with it every week I wrestle through its implications but I know God I know that you're doing this in our church I know you're developing us into us a new kind of person I know that you speak to us God you do you speak to us Lord and you lead us but that does not circumvent the character that you desire to build in us so God would you build that in us would you build that deeply in our hearts, deeply in our souls, as we turn to you and respond. In Jesus' name, amen.